All right, we're going to pray and we're going to move on to the message this morning. Lord, we're here for you. We are here to hear from you, to learn about who you are. And so God, I'm praying, help me to speak your words this morning. Keep me from, from saying things that don't represent you, God. I pray that each person that you brought here for a reason hears from you, Lord, that they walk away not saying, I heard something from Pastor Eric, but that I heard something from God this morning. And so, Lord, we, we truly ask for your word to speak to us and change us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we are out of Colossians, and we're going to do a little bit of a shorter chunk of Scripture to end the summer, and we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. How many of you guys have heard of the Beatitudes before? A few? Okay. That's, the Beatitudes is one of those, those things that we hear a lot, but it's confusing because outside of Scripture, I've never heard the word Beatitude ever used, and we just kind of say it, and it can be confusing. What does this even mean? So we're going to do this. This is going to take about four weeks for us to walk through the Beatitudes. And the reason that we're doing it is this is one of Jesus' sermons. And for, for a, a pastor, sometimes one of the hardest things is to decide what am I going to preach about? Because, you know, really, I've got about a half hour a week to, to speak the Word of God. Maybe 35 minutes, maybe 40 if I'm going to really push it and get some people annoyed, right? And that's not a lot per week to, to speak. And so most pastors take this really serious to go, what, what is it that God has for this church right now? And what I have found is that you can never really go wrong giving one of Jesus' sermons because he probably did it right, right? It's, it's kind of one of those things. And so I thought for this last part of summer, as things are still kind of crazy, let's jump into one of Jesus' teachings. And, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to start with just Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So one of the things that's interesting about the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount in general is this is specifically for his disciples. This is one of those really challenging teachings that wasn't for the crowd. It was for his inner circle of, of disciples who were going to be called to do some pretty intense things. And if you're like me, you're like, ooh, this is the teaching I want, right? Because we're all called to be disciples. You guys know that? You're not called to be one of the crowd, you're called to be one of Jesus' disciples. And so hopefully if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you view yourself as one of the disciples, not just as one of the crowd. Because as you can see, Jesus does teach differently to his disciples than he does to the crowd. He doesn't contradict himself, but he challenges and goes a little deeper with his disciples. And this is going to be one of those um, parts of Scripture that might challenge us a little bit. But hopefully... You want that because you want to be a disciple. And, and right off the bat, Jesus does something that I think is different than even how a lot of pastors might do it. Is he saw the crowds and instead of, you know, trying to preach the crowds, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go hide away a little bit 
And I want to just teach to my inner circle. And that's so different than kind of how a lot of us are taught is it's all, it's all about the crowds. It's all about the big numbers. But, but Jesus right here saw the crowds and said, no, I want to pour in to my disciples. Because ultimately, if you read the rest of the Bible, it's not the crowds that changed the world. It was his 12 disciples that changed the world. And so Jesus knew, I need to pour in to these disciples, and I need to get them ready for what I'm calling them to do. And the Beatitudes, if you're wondering, what does this word Beatitude means? It just means to be blessed. Blessed are. That's kind of how Jesus starts all of these verses. Blessed are. And, and before we even get into it, we have to look at that word blessed because I think it's different than we tend to use it in, in church today is if, if I were to say, if you were to say, how, how are you doing? And I said, oh, you know, blessed. What that might mean is I'm miserable, but I can't say it, right? I'm miserable, but I want to be a good Christian. And so I'm going to say I'm blessed. But really the code is life isn't that great. I'm really kind of struggling, but I want to appear to be a good Christian. So I'm going to say I'm blessed. And that is definitely not what this word means. This word does not mean to pretend to be okay when you're not. What it really means is to be envied, happy, joyful, like top of the mountain. Wouldn't want to switch places with anybody else. No one has it better than me. That's what that word blessed means is, is someone to be envied. Someone that other people look at and go, man, I wish I had some of what that guy or that lady has because they are blessed. It's not one of those excuses to, to say, well, I, I don't really like life, but I want to I wanna appear good. It's like, no, from your core, you're like, man, life is good. And so as we go into it, please don't read blessed are as, well, these people are miserable, but, but someday it might work out for them. Jesus really meant these are the people that you should envy. These are the people who should not want to switch places with anybody else who feel like they have got the best possible deal Ever. And so we're going to jump into the Beatitudes, the blessed are. And so this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So here we enter in the basic format of the Beatitudes. And this is how it goes. And as we go through all these verses, you're going to see there's a basic format to all of these. Jesus says, blessed are, and then gives a, a type of person that are not blessed. It doesn't make any sense. That's how it always works. Blessed are, and then he says something, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That doesn't make any sense. People who are poor in their spirit are not people that you should envy. They're not people that have it better than everybody else, right? Blessed are those who mourn. When have you ever looked at someone who is mourning and go, man, I envy that person? We see this pattern of Jesus, you don't make sense. But then he ends it with something that does make sense, right? So if I were to just say, blessed are those who have the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are comforted, now it makes sense, right? It's just that middle part that we struggle with, right? It's that middle part of those who are poor in spirit, those who, are, those who mourn. 
And ultimately, when we look at the Beatitudes, I would say that this is a sermon about investments. This is the core of what Jesus is talking about, is investments. And, and that's a, a weird word to use because for most of us, when we think of an investment, we really only think of like finances, right? You, you invest in your retirement or whatever it is. And whenever I use the word investment, your brain probably goes to money and finances and things like that. But really, when you look at life, everything is about investments. That, that's what it is. And, and in the life that we live right now, it's easy to kind of remove ourselves from the fact that everything is really about investments and if there's a return on those investments. So one of the shows, um, Les is not here this morning, but I promise you this is the truth. One of the few shows that we enjoy watching together, because we don't have a lot of shows we like watching together, is a show called Alone. And here's the basic premise of that. They take these survival experts and they just drop them off. They each have their own little part of land in like this crazy Arctic place. And it's basically whoever can survive the longest wins a bunch of money. And they have like, they can bring like 10 things with them and they have a list. And it's basically who is going to not starve? Because what they do is they do medical checks. And if they, if they get too skinny, if they're unhealthy, they get pulled. And so it's really who can make it the longest? without getting pulled. And some people get too miserable and they, say, they call and say, I give up, I quit. But what's so interesting about watching these shows is you understand that at the core of, of just even human existence, everything is about where do I invest in? So for them, it's all about calories because they're trying to not get pulled. They're trying to stay healthy. And everything they do takes calories. Every, every time they go to check their traps, every time they make a net to go fishing, they're investing, they're losing some of their reserves to do that. And it's in the hope that that is going to return. And, and you see people all the time when they, when they lose, they're like, man, I invested too heavily in this and it didn't get me any food and I paid the price for it. And when you look at life, it's not just money that, that this, this is about. When you look at your family, what you invest in your spouse, what you invest in your kids really determines what life is going to look like in the future. And this is what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. Is he's talking about where you put your investments. This is just one chapter over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And this is what Jesus says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's saying, invest in the kingdom of God. Make sure that you're putting investments in that, because that's when life goes better. And, and better is, I guess, a, a tough word, but, but Jesus is basically promising, if you want things to go well for you, if you want to have that kind of life where people look at you and go, wow, that person's blessed, and again, I'm not just talking about things. Very rarely, I mean, maybe when we're young, we look at really rich people and envy them. But as we get older, we tend to envy a different kind of person. And this is what Jesus is talking about, is invest in the kingdom of God. And we're going to have to choose what we invest in, because here's the tricky thing about this, is 
there's a lot of really good things to invest in in this life, right? There's a lot of really good things, investing in your family, investing in the kingdom of God, investing in your kids, investing in your job, investing in your health. There's, there's a list and you're never going to have enough to invest in all of it. And so it's going to come down to choosing what you invest in. And I would say that that is what makes a disciple, is the level of investment you're willing to give into the kingdom of God. And this is when Jesus pulls his disciples aside and starts talking about the Beatitudes. He's challenging them and where their level of investment is in the kingdom of God. And and a lot of times when I say, I, I want to hopefully lead each person of this church into being a disciple, that's going to look a little different for everybody. Not all of us are, are meant to come up here and speak. Not all of us have the same gifts and talents. But really, I just want to help each of you get to a place where you're willing to invest into the kingdom of God the way that, that God is calling you to. So let's look closer at these two verses. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So what does that mean to be poor in spirit? So that word poor is one of, it's one of the kind of words that I love because it comes from something very visual. And I'm a very visual person and it helps me understand. And so this word poor is to, it's, it's like a position that you take when you're kind of crouched down. Like, like visualize someone like, like, in, like in Aladdin. Remember in the movie Aladdin when there was someone asking for money? What position did they have? They were crouched down. It was like this position you naturally take when, when you don't have enough for yourself and you need to ask for help from somebody else. Is, is you kind of naturally crouch down. And it's, it's a place of need. It's a place of asking. And none of us like to be in that place, do we? How many of you guys are like, I love when I don't have everything I need and I need to ask for help. I hate that. That's one of the things that I, I really try to avoid, but this is what that word means, is, is to, be, to be crouched down, to be, to be humbled, and to understand and acknowledge that you don't have enough. Does that feel blessed when you're in that position? It doesn't. But we have to look at this word spirit because this word spirit, what it means in the Bible is it's kind of like your essence, like your breath, like, like the, your life. That's why like the spirit of God is, is his breath, his essence. There's, there's power in that. And for us, it's in the, the essence of our life. So it's when we look at ourselves, we look at what we have to offer. We look at our own righteousness, our own skills, our own abilities, and we understand and acknowledge that we don't have enough, that we are in need, that we kind of humble ourselves and crouch ourselves down to God because we understand when we look at what we are being asked to do, we know we don't have enough. And he's like, blessed are those people, which again, doesn't make sense because it doesn't feel very blessed when you're in that. Trust me, when God asks you to do something and you look in the mirror and go, this is gonna go really bad, right? Have you guys ever been there? You're like, I can't do that. And you truly have to humble yourself before God and say, if you don't help, this is going to be really bad. Trust me, I do that every single Sunday morning. You can ask Les. My prayer every day is, God, if you don't show up, this is going to go really bad. Every single week. Because that's always been true. God, if you don't show up, I do not have enough for what 
what is, is needing to happen. And so there's this idea of humility. Blessed are those who humble themselves. Now I want to be clear. Humility is not hating yourself. And that's one of the things that we have to understand. Humility is not looking at yourself and saying, I hate you. That's actually kind of prideful because what you're saying is, because I'm not enough, I'm looking to myself and the fact that I'm not enough makes me feel that kind of, of hatred. Humility is different than that. This is what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 says. It says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And this is, again, why it makes sense to say, blessed are those who are humble in spirit, because the Bible tells us what that leads to. But humility is not about looking at yourself and hating what you see. Humility is looking at God and being in awe of what you see. That's what humility is. It's not, it's not, the, it's not the putting down of yourself. It's the exalting of God. That's where it says the fear of the Lord. And this word fear means to be in awe of something, to have it really just blow your mind when you look at it. That's what humility is, is when you're willing to look at God and just exalt him so high that you're naturally humbled underneath them. But it's not because you beat yourself up and, and hated yourself. It's because your awe of God is so much that, that you just lift him above where you're at. And this is what Jesus says, is those who are humble in their spirit, those are the people who will have the kingdom of heaven. And so why does humility make a way for this? Right? What does humility and the kingdom of God have to do with it? I want to bring you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, and hopefully I can make some sense of this. This is what it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is something that Paul talks a lot about. He even says that, I don't have it up there, but in 2 Timothy, he talks about us as, as vessels, right? As jars of clay. You've probably heard that before. And the reason that it's so great that we're jars of clay is that what we're showing is that everything that's happening is not us. It's God. And we simply are the vessel in which there's space for God to be in our life. Here's the simplest way that I can explain this. The more humble you are, the more space you have for God to fill in your life. That's kind of the, the joy of humility, is the more you acknowledge that you are empty, that you are poor, that you don't have enough, the more space there is for God to fill, the better vessel that you are, right? If I were to go, um, it didn't go very well, but a couple weeks ago, Les and I went foraging for mushrooms. We found nothing, by the way, but that's okay. But when you go, you're like, I should grab something to put the mushrooms in, again, if you find anything. And what makes a good vessel is what? That there's space to put something. If Les were to be like, hey, grab something to put the mushrooms in, and I grabbed a backpack that was completely full of stuff, and I brought it with, that's not a very good vessel to bring with. And that's where he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have emptied themselves because there's space for the kingdom of heaven to be in their life. I believe that ultimately the impact 
as disciples of Christ, it's going to be based on the space we have in our lives, the space that we make for Jesus to fill. And I'll say, humility doesn't earn anything. It makes room for what Jesus already wants to do. And that's what I believe. If, if you are a Christian and you have a relationship with Jesus, I believe the Bible tells us that Jesus wants to fill you with everything that he has. But the question is, have we made any room for that? That's why it's blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Because even though you're going to feel empty for a season, ultimately you're going to be filled with everything that Jesus wants to give you. And people are going to look at you then and say, that person is blessed. That's why humility is so important, is it clears the table of all our junk that we think is so important, that we think is, man, this is what I have to offer, and it makes room for what God really wants to do through us. And so I think the question is, what leads to humility? If, if you're looking for, I want to be someone who's poor in spirit. I want to be someone who's emptied myself so that there's space for Jesus to fill in my life. I think that's where we have to look to the second part of that verse where he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because that word mourn, what it means, if you look in the original language, is it is to lament the state of something. Is, is, it basically means to really soberly look at how something is and to allow yourself to say, that's not right. That's, that's not how that should be. And a lot of us, that's hard to do. But that's really where it starts. We see this in James chapter 4, where James is talking about all of the things that aren't quite right with the way that Christians are living their life. And this is what he says in James chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He's basically saying, allow yourself to really look at the state of things. And if something in your life isn't right, allow yourself to acknowledge that. You know, this is something we really don't talk about at church a lot, is the idea of, of, of really mourning and grieving the things that aren't right in your life. And that, again, doesn't mean that you hate yourself. It doesn't mean that, that, that you're going to sit here and, um, and hide in a corner somewhere. But it's just that idea of allowing yourself to soberly go, ah, there's some things in my life that, that aren't right. And, and that humbles me. And that, that makes space for God to actually do something and change that in my life. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. One of the most courageous things you can do as a Christian, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, is to come into the presence of God and truly see everything that he is and experience everything that God is and to feel that tension of how different that is than you and, and, and see all of the ways that, that you're not there yet, that you have work to do. And it, when you feel that tension, you want to run away, right? Just like Adam and Eve, they, they, they want and they hid. And, and, and that's always that our natural reaction is to, is to run away and hide and avoid that. But the most courageous thing you can do is to really allow yourself to sit in that tension 
and to feel it and to understand where you are in relationship with God and still feel his love for you even in that tension of how amazing he is and in, in, in your current state. And it will humble you. I promise you, it will humble you. I, I get humbled every time we worship and I'm in the presence of God. It's humbling because you feel that tension of how good God is, how perfect he is, and that I'm not there yet. But that humbles us and that makes space for what he wants to do. And ultimately, the ones who have space for Jesus in their life are the ones who are blessed, right? Does that sound right? The more space we have for Jesus, the more blessed we're going to be. And this is where, as he's talking to his disciples, he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who, who actually lament the way things are, because they are going to be comforted, because ultimately those are the people who are going to humble themselves and be filled with what Jesus has for them. Mourning leads to humility, which makes space for the kingdom. And that's the first step in the Beatitudes, and everything else builds off of that, is are we willing to be humbled? Are we willing to sit in that tension of all that Jesus is and all that we're not, and make space and empty ourselves, and have ourselves truly be a jar of clay that can show all of the power of what Jesus wants to do because we've emptied ourselves and made space for him to fill. So if you'll stand, I want to pray over you guys before we dismiss. Lord, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you that we are blessed. Lord, that we are people who are blessed. God, I thank you for everything that you are, that as we truly look at you, as we truly see who you are, we can't help but humble ourselves. We can't help but empty ourselves of all of the things that, that we are so that you have space to fill with all the things you wanna give us, Lord. And, and I pray that for each of us, you give us the courage to just look soberly at, at where we're at, compared to who you are. Lord, not so that we hate ourselves, not so that we beat ourselves up, but so that we humble ourselves and make space for you to come in. And Lord, I believe that each person who makes space for you to fill in their life are gonna be abundantly blessed, Lord. They're, they're going to be blessed. And Lord, we believe that that's true for each of us, Lord. That as we talked about this morning, you love each one of us. And this is your heart for each one of us, that we would be filled with you. Lord, so help us to be poor in spirit. Help us to be humble. Help us to, to truly look at things soberly and lift and exalt you because we see how good you are, Lord. We pray this in your name.